This episode of Cognitive Dissonance is brought to you by our patrons. You fucking rock. I've been saying it for years. Obama is a dangerous, Marxist, arsonist, narrowist, communist, Maoist, Leninist, socialist, fascist, Nazist, anarchist, kleptarchist, Islamist, jihadist, Satanist, monarchist, imperialist, galactic imperialist, Sithist, Darth Vaderist, cognitive dissonantist, glory holist, piece of shit. Hey there, Thomas Cecil, Cecil and Tom. This is James from Arkansas, and I was wanting to elucidate for you the process in uh, becoming a Muslim cleric. You know, there seems to be some confusion about this. Uh, let me just clear. I've done some extensive research. All right. First, uh, your alignment has to match with that of Allah. In this case, it's got to be chaotic evil. Uh, you have to have uh, you have to have uh, Allah's favor, of course. You know, or else your divine spellcasting won't work. Uh, and yeah, bada boom, bada bing. You got uh, simple weapon proficiencies and uh, you know several different uh, spell slots, depending on your uh, depending on your uh, on your level, right? Uh, this uh, you'll also want to have a high charisma modifier, or else you know you won't be able to turn the undead. Anyway, I hope this clears things up, Glory Hole, and have a lovely day. Hey, Cecil. Hey, Tom. Big Rob out of, out of Texarkana, baby. Uh, so, I've had a funny story that happened. I thought y'all might like it. I'm, uh, I'm married to this born-again Christian. She's, she's just all about Jesus. And, you know, obviously I'm an atheist. I was listening to your show. Right? And uh, so, one of these days she goes over and just starts looking through my phone while I'm in the shower. And she starts playing cognitive Man, was she pissed off when I came out of the shower. She's like, I can't believe this junk you have on your phone, you know? And it wasn't so much the cognitive dissonance that made her mad, it was all the German gay porn. So go figure. Uh, we got some stuff to talk about. Thanks, Glory Hall. advise that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. Recording from Glory Hole Studios in Chicago, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical. It's political. And there is no welcome mat. This is episode number Untitled Document. <laughs> <laughs> Or 203, uh, if, if you have I like Untitled Document. To be counting. Yeah. You know, I want to say, that Cecil, that's fucking lazy. You know, like, I mean, when I put the notes together, I expect you to title that for me. You know, I, I messed up last episode. I have to change it, but you may still be able to download it. Last episode isn't called Episode 202. It's called Notes 202. <laughs> <laughs> but admittedly, I was putting that show together... The night before I left for fucking vacation at like two in the morning. So, oh, yeah. God. So, I, I think I'm forgiven on that count. 
That's horrible. That sounds like a. It's. I got to tell you, and I and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It sounds like so much work to do a podcast. Like so much work. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Is this thing on? <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, that's what I hear, at least. Um, so let's start off with this first story. We got we have a nice – when we were putting the notes together, we, we built this nice, like, really, like, pyramid of shit at the top uh, where we, we've got all the fucking dead, injured, or fucked children. Um, oh, God. Right at the right at the oh, very no. right at the very tippy top. This is to make sure that new listeners uh, run screaming out the door. This story comes from CBC News. Uh, Micaiah Salt, girl who refused chemo for leukemia. Can you guess? Can you guess? <laughs> I wait. I, I I will say she's probably fucked, but not in the traditional sense. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually say that in some sense. All the children from the first three stories we cover get fucked, yeah. but still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, well, it's not spontaneously recovers. It's dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, terribly sad story for all the joking we're doing. We covered this uh, when when this became kind of an issue in the courts. Um, 11-year-old girl from Ontario First Nation. It's like a, a you know, like the uh, Canadian version of, of the uh, American Indians, right? The, the Canadian Indians. Do they call them Indians? Maybe. Yeah, we probably don't call them Indians either unless you're, like, rude. Yeah. Um, anyway, she refused. <laughs> this show this show is off to a fucking great start. It's good. We're, we're killing it. Oh, I feel like man. we're killing this. Well, um, killing some. <laughs> anyway, she uh, refused chemotherapy, and the courts upheld her decision, even though she's fucking 11. Right. And can't really make decisions. Right. Well, anyway, the up courts upheld her decision to refuse chemotherapy. And instead, Cecil, she pursued traditional indigenous methods, alternative treatments. She did it, though, because she had a vision of Jesus. Um, and so uh, she died. Yeah. Because it turns out that's all bullshit. But I guess visions of Jesus are not uh, ways in which to spontaneous reco- spontaneously recover from leukemia. Yeah. You know, it's pretty sad because... Um, she had a 75% survival right. chance right. Um, when she was diagnosed initially with acute lymphoblastic leukemia in March. Um, and uh, that's them's fucking fighting chances. Like 75%, if you got to get a cancer, yeah, that's a pretty good percentage chance that you're going to, that you're going to go through that um, and get through the other side. So um, the, the fact that this, this 11 year old girl, was even able to make a decision, and that the courts were like, "Oh, we should definitely do what a fucking sixth grader wants." I mean, you can't even sign up for the fucking Columbia House DVD Club. <laughs> do they still have that? I don't know, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you can't like you can't even become like a Mouseketeer without a parental guardian. <laughs> <laughs> You think you're going to be able to fucking like just decide, oh, you know what? I, I don't want to get cancer treatment. And it says here, it says, surrounded by the love and support of her family and her community and her nation, Michaela completed her course. Her course? It's like the worst 5K ever. <laughs> they put the bib on her and just, they just track her like, she's not going very quickly. <laughs> I tell you what, other people compete in an Ironman. She tried to compete in the Iron Lung. I oh, think, nice! 
Oh, well, she's not competing anymore. She fucking wins. No. It says here, it says, I am writing this letter to tell you that chemo is killing my body. Now, this is what the, the little girl is saying. Chemo is killing my body and I cannot take it anymore. And, you know, maybe it might have been killing your body, but the leukemia was definitely killing your body. I, You know, that's the thing that, like, people are like, yeah, you know, chemotherapy is super fucking awful. And it's and like, like, I don't think anybody would disagree. Right. Chemotherapy, like, really sucks. There's no disagreement about that. But it's fighting cancer. Right. Right. That's right. like saying, like, like, if you have like a fucking chimpanzee attacking you. Right. And, like, the only way to fight the chimpanzee is to, like, stab yourself in the leg. Like, stabbing what? yourself in the leg sucks, but you're fighting a chimpanzee! Yeah. You know, like, you're, like, there's no, you're not coming out of this unscathed. Right. We don't have a pill that's, like, the unscathed cancer treatment pill. And, like, that really sucks that we don't have that pill. And it sucks that we're not at the end point of medical history where we can all, you know, clap our hands together and say, you know, jolly good job, old chap. But, like, this is the point in history where we are. Where history where we are. These are the treatments we have available. They're less than perfect, but they're better than rubbing some fucking dirt on it, which is you what know, the indigenous treatments are. Yeah, and that, that's that's what it that's what that's what it feels like, right? Is like to rub some dirt on it, you'll get better. Like fucking that doesn't that's never helped anyone. And I, you know, another maybe a better analogy would be Tom, if you were standing on a high dive, and a really high dive where you you know let's say I don't even know how high high dives go, but let's say a very high dive, and you were doused with gasoline and lit on fire, the way down's going to suck because it's going to add some oxygen. Probably going to suck. But it's going to put the fire out. Right. You know, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be comfortable, but it's going to put the fire out. And that's what this is. It's the fucking idea is you, you know, it, it's not like it's it's going to come in and fucking sing Kumbaya with the cancer. It's going to fix that shit. It's going to it's going to eradicate. It. It's also going to debilitate you. But 75 percent is way better than zero percent, which is what you gave yourself. And, you know, the parents, dumb fucks that they are. Listen to what they say. She was on her way to wellness, bravely fighting toward holistic well-being after the harsh side effects of the 12-week chemotherapy inflicted on her body, the family statement read. Chemotherapy did irreversible damage to her heart and major organs. This was the cause of the stroke. Glad you were able to fucking come up with it. Yeah, right. And that's the thing, too, is like people just get it. They just decide. They just like these things happen and they're just like, oh, well, I fucking know what caused it. And then those tell you what caused it. And what's their evidence? They have no fucking evidence. They have no causal link between the chemotherapy and the stroke that ultimately ended this person's life. You know, it, maybe it was the, I don't know, fucking leukemia. Who knows? Who fucking, who really knows, like, what the causal link was from one event to the other event? Or if there even was a causal link from one event to the other event. It, but they just decide. Like, they decide that chemotherapy is evil. They decide that it's fucking debilitating and destructive, and so it's like, well, let's just like we should just we should let eleven year olds make all their decisions. If you let eleven year olds make all their fucking decisions about their lives, they would eat nothing but ice cream and pizza, and none of them would go to school. Right? You know, like we don't do that for a reason because it's a goddamn terrible idea. At some point, grown ass men and women need to step in and look at an 11 year old child and say you're in fucking fifth or sixth grade you know nothing about the world 
I have to guide you through this difficult and navigate you through this difficult period in your life. You're going to come out the other side. I'll hold your hand through it. Let's do this thing together. But you're not going to be the goddamn decision maker. You're fucking 11. You, the, the number of things you can't do when you're 11, I don't even know if you're tall enough to ride this ride at no, 11. No, How do you like that? My own mother falling for that stuff. Well, you don't know, Larry. Maybe Dr. Kahuha can help her. Doctor? That guy's no doctor. He's a quack. So this story comes from the Raw story. Seven kids removed from Arkansas prepper family's home after use of bogus miracle cure. Um, I love this story because the miracle cure is basically bleach. If you read through the story, um, they, they've they got, you know, 18 million kids or something, seven homeschooled kids, um, unsurprisingly from the South, a bunch of nutty preppers, and they're using this miracle mineral solution. And it's touted as a cure for cancer, AIDS, malaria, and possibly Ebola. Um, but well, that's true. No, that's true. That's true. Because if you ingest it, you die from bleach poisoning. <laughs> so you'll yeah, never get the Ebola. You'll never get Ebola. <laughs> it's a hundred percent effective, so that you get none of the other diseases. No matter how much bubonic <laughs> right. plague you rub on their corpses, you could you could dive. You could drink this and then dive into Ebola infested blood. <laughs> That'd be fine. And you'd be fine because you'd be dead from the bleach in a couple hours. So, My favorite part of this is the FDA is saying the product, and this is my favorite line in the sentence, when used as directed, not even when abused, but when used as directed, produces an industrial bleach. The product instructs consumers to mix the 28% sodium chloride solution with an acid such as citrus juice. This mixture produces chlorine dioxide, a potent bleach used for stripping textiles and industrial water treatment. <laughs> High doses of this bleach, such as those recommended in the label, uh. can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and symptoms of severe dehydration. And then later on, it says, like, that later on, the, the company says, yeah, that's how you know it's working. <laughs> what if you can strip your textiles? Yeah. <laughs> Look, oh, I'm feeling like maybe I have malaria in Arkansas. That's not possible. Oh, no, shut up. Here, have this miracle cure. Oh, God, I'm super sick. Oh, fuck. Oh, that's how it's working. I was sick. If I'm sick before, (laughs) I don't even understand that that thought process. Like, oh, man, you know it's working when you're extravagantly more sick. Have you ever heard the, the pool nutters, the people who are like, you can't have bleach in your pool because it'll get into your skin. And you can't have chlorine. Like, there's no chlorine allowed in your pool. You should find something else because the it, chlorine's bad for your skin. It'll get inside you and it'll poison you from the inside. Yeah, you ever hear any of those people? No, but it's awesome. Yeah, no, there's people like that. It's so funny because in this case, you you could this is this is like a whole lifetime of pools for thousands of people right (laughs) the amount of of chlorine you're getting in your system it's hilarious but this is one of it, it the thing is is that it doesn't matter what it is they're either trying to tell you that something normal is harmful or that something weird is helpful and the things that 
that they made up out of nothing. Clearly, a fucking citrus juice and some weird thing that make fucking like chlorine bleach that you could that you could use in a textile factory. <laughs> Like, I haven't even heard those words together since, like, the 1900s. Like, pretty soon we're going to have, like, children that are, like, five years old getting their heads caught in sewing machines. Please, sir. It's it's Sunday afternoon. I've been working ever so hard. Can I take a day? No! Get back to the textile factory! But I would like to go to the funeral for my other brother and sister and brother and And sister and brother. And my mother has leukemia. All of all of my family is quite dead, sir. Spray Shut down up. my Get textiles. Back. Spray them. <laughs> I'm feeling so sick. Here, drink some bleach. That'll wipe it right out oh, of you. Oh gosh, clean you right out. You, uh, you love yourself some preppers, though, don't you? I I gotta admit, man. I fucking not only do I kind of love the prepper show, um, and I wa- do. You ever watch that Doomsday Prepper show? No, I don't. I I I'm kind of I kind of love that show. I don't watch it. Because, first of all, my wife loads it um, because it's fucking stupid and all the people on it are fucking stupid. But, like, part of me, I want to I want to prep. Not because I think anything weird is going to happen. I have, like, I have, I, I just think building really cool forts is super awesome. And I'm like, <laughs> I watch that show and I'm like, oh, man, I totally want to build an underground bunker. And I don't kind of want to do it, Cecil. Like, I kind of thinking, like, if I watch enough of that show after a while, I'm like, yeah, we got enough room back there. Maybe I could. Like, I start planning it out. Like, I start like, I start getting a little, uh, little off the rail there because it's awesome. Like, all they're doing is building fucking tree houses and fucking underground forts. The the rest of it, like the whole like, oh, the world's gonna blow up and we got to protect our family. That's just this weird neuroses. That's the rationale for. I'm a grown up with money. And I want to build an awesome treehouse. Well, you kind of already do have a treehouse, like a underground doomsday sound studio. <laughs> I know, know like- and it's like it's like my favorite room in my house because it's like my <laughs> weird little nugget room. It's not even a proper room. The door right. is a curtain, right? You know, but like, there's a part of me that's like, man, I totally want to like. Buy a tanker truck or something and like bury it underground and put bunk beds in it. (laughs) (laughs) I really truly do too. Like, like I'm the guy that like looks at like a converted like school bus and it's like, that's super neat. I want to do that. What do I want to fucking school? First of all, if I want a fucking camper, I'll just go buy a camper. Like, I don't need to like buy a school bus, then make it a camper. (laughs) Like, I just buy the camper. But but part of me is just like, that's super cool, and I want it real bad. I just don't <laughs> want to drink bleach. And like, this is like going down a road that I recognize, like, leads to madness. Like, I look down that road, and I'm like, hmm. Then I become like a weird gun-hoarding redneck, and I don't want to be a weird gun-hoarding redneck. I just want to bury a fucking septic tank in my backyard and, like, Fill it full of Oreos or whatever these crazy people do. <laughs> because it's hilarious. A long black cock, long black cock. A long black cock, long black cock. Well, 
At the outset, we promised you some kid fucking. <laughs> oh, God. And we hate to disappoint. <laughs> and I really want to disappoint. This story comes from the New York Post. Islamic cleric. Uh, shocking. Wow. Which one? Uh, advocates marriage between kids and adults. Uh, a Turkish cleric. Um, which actually I thought that part was interesting because Turkey is often cited as, as one of the more uh, moderate uh, Muslim nations. A Turkish cleric supports marriages between children and adults um, and uh, basically says children can marry even before puberty. There can be marriages between children or between a child and adult. Be- for example, a marriage between a seven-year-old girl and a 25-year-old man or a seven-year-old boy with a 25-year-old woman. There are no inconveniences preventing their marriage. I think there's there's at least one. Because you... you- <laughs> What you've got to do is you've got to convert the baby room into a new baby room. Oh, and no. that's an inconvenience. I think having a seven-year-old uh, spouse presents a, a host of inconveniences. Um, first of all, you got to help them with their homework, which right. super sucks. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with a seven-year-old and a 25-year-old, the lube costs alone will drive you to the fucking it's poorhouse. It's a lot of money. Although those are oil-rich nations. So... <laughs> I gotta admit, when I made that joke, I was I was planning that joke, and I'm like, maybe I won't say it. Maybe that's pushing it too far. Yes, yes, I got you to go along with it. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, that's just well. That's you just know, the other thing horrible. you don't have to worry too is you don't have to uh, you don't have to vet the preschool. You know, if she's already married, nobody's gonna touch her. Yeah, there you go. You know, it'd be very conflicting on your anniversary, like. Like, you get the first anniversary, you want to do something special, but she wants pony rides. Because she's fucking seven! <laughs> she wants you to brush her dolly's hair. <laughs> and you're 39 before oh. you can take her out for her first drink. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? You're like, uh, this is so fucking annoying. You want to go out for a drink, hon? No, you can't, because you're fucking seven. <laughs> Uh, what are you going <laughs> to do, to cry about it? Yeah, you get to say that for another 15 years. <laughs> I know. Like, you know, after that first decade of marriage yeah. and she can finally drive? Oh, you no. know, Because she's not from a country oh, right? that women drive. <laughs> it says here, though, I mean, we're, we're, we're playing this up where he's actually going to have sex with the young girl. And I don't think that that's right because it says it here. It says... After the backlash, this guy tweeted that he did not mean that six-year-olds can consummate a marriage, only that their marriage can be arranged with their parents' approval. So it's kind of like big brothers, big sisters with the promise of eventual sex. Is there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good because that way the parents can – you can sell your children you know, on yeah. layaway. Basically. That's nothing. Yeah, selling your child into future slavery right. is really so much better than fucking a six-year-old. It's, look, it's future slavery. It's not present day. Gosh, yeah. you fucking paint everything with a broad brush. <laughs> but like, who would want somebody? Like, who would be like, man, I want a girl who's seven. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a first grader. Ah, that's there are no inconveniences. How about the fact that it's just generally inconvenient to marry children? (laughs) Oh, man. 
But I think that the thing we're overlooking, though, is that there are probably some benefits. Like, like when you go to the movies, there's one adult and one child ticket. That's true. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're saving a little bit of money. That's, I mean, that's very convenient. I mean, ordering off the kids' menu. She may be able to sit on your lap when you fly. Hey, I thought you weren't consummating the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Want to contact the guys? Go to DissonancePod.com to get links to their Google+, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. If you want to contact them directly, send an email to dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Do you want to support the show? Go to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash dissonance pod. Or click the link on the podcast homepage and you can donate to the production of Cognitive Dissonance on a per-episode basis. If you can't spare any money, take a second to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher, or spread the word about the show. We want to send a big, heartfelt glory hole to all the patrons and people who rate us. You fucking rock. So this story comes from the Raw story, um, and this story is actually a reaction to... Uh, something Pope Francis had had said the other day, uh, particularly in regard to the Ebdo thing. British Prime Minister rebuts Pope Francis. In a free society, we have a right to insult religion. Um, so after uh, the Pope's recent comments about how, you know, religion is kind of off the table as far as criticism is concerned, especially as far as, you know, vocal, uh, aggressive criticism and ridicule is concerned. Um, British Prime Minister David Cameron defended the right to free speech, um, saying that in a free society, there is a right to cause offense about someone's religion. I'm a Christian. If someone says something offensive about Jesus, I might find that offensive. But in a free society, I don't have a right to wreak my vengeance upon them. And I thought, man, fucking bravo. Push back on that shit. I, I actually think that the current pope is a breath of fresh air in many ways. He's much more progressive, but he got this one wrong. Oh, God, did he ever. That's the dumbest shit he's ever said. Yeah. You can't uh, protect people from being offended. Someone's always going to be offended by something. You can't walk through your life with an offense cushion around you, like an offense force field, where you'll never be offended. You're going to be offended a lot in your life. And... To shelter people from that is a disservice to those people because they need to be able to be able to experience that because somebody is not going to care about them enough to uh, always care how they feel about something. And when they finally wind up with somebody who doesn't care and they say something like this, it could really make them snap. So what, what you've got to do is you just got to buffer yourself. You've got to be willing to be able to walk through the world and have people say shitty stuff and just learn to take it and be like, you know what? That's a stupid fucking thing you said, or I don't agree with that, or whatever it is, and just move through and, and just deal with it. There shouldn't be any coddling, especially of, of ideas. There, there's no privileged ideas. You don't get to... You don't get to coddle ideas. Ideas should be able to stand on their own merit whether or not they're true or not. Not whether or not, you know, they make you feel good. Yeah, you know, and, and what's the end? Like, where does where does that end? Does it end with religion or does it end with all forms of offense? You know, so, like, if we give religion this, this sort of, like, free pass that, oh, well, you know, you get freedom of speech, but you can't offend people. Well, you can't offend people uh, based only on religion or you can't offend people in general. 
So then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we're living in a world where we have to constantly worry. If you were to take that tack and really run with it, you'd be living in a world where you constantly have to worry about, you know, whether or not something you said was offensive and whether or not somebody now has a right to wreak some kind of physical vengeance for the words that you used. You know, so if I walked in and I told a dirty joke and somebody was offended by my dirty joke um, and they said, hey, man, I don't fucking appreciate that joke. And I'd be like, oh, well, sorry. I, you know, and we, we didn't have a fucking spirited debate about it. If I walk in and I tell a dirty joke and somebody's like that fucking offended me and they pull out a fucking gun and shoot me. And all of a sudden I'm living in a world where it's like, well, you did offend them. Yeah, no, fuck how, that. How can I, you know, so why would religion get a privileged stance? If we're going to be fair about this conceptually and we're going to say that like ideas can't offend, well, then we all need to walk. We just need to lose the ability to convey ideas with language then. Because at some point, someone's going to be offended by every goddamn thing you say. So this story comes from Right Wing Watch. How the no-go zones myth traveled. It's impossible for me to say properly. No-go zones sounds like a... It sounds like a filled pastry of some kind. It does. Like it to me, it's like one of those like weird, awkward words that sounds like a food, but a food you don't want, like gogurt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like hey, man, you want some gogurt? Like well, I know it's yogurt, but I just don't want it now. Yeah, like I was, I actually really like yogurt, but if it's gogurt, like it just sounds like somebody like peed in went it or it? something. Like, yeah, I it don't... sounds like somebody went it, <laughs> and you're just not interested. Like, oh yeah, I want a no go zone. Uh, is that like a calzone? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, no, if, if there's a no-go zone in Italy, it's a cow zone. Uh, how the no-go zones myth traveled from the anti-Muslim fringe to the mouths of GOP politicians. So um, this this was hilarious because these these fucking goofballs talking about the um, Islamification of Europe. Um, and they're talking about these no-go zones, these zones. Um, they're saying there's over 700 of them where the authorities have allowed Sharia law to be imposed um, and that that's spreading across Europe, you know, like that exists. And in fact, there was one person who said like that all of Birmingham is a no-go zone, that basically all of Birmingham is a Muslim-controlled area where non-Muslims, you know, fear to tread um, and that these no-go zones are uh, spreading to the states, and it's all made up. Like, it's all made up. Like, we know that there are some areas, we've covered areas, um, we've covered stories where there's some isolated pocket neighborhoods um, right. where, like, these Muslim patrols, like these guys who fucking take it upon themselves to walk around and harass people that drink or smoke or wear tight clothes. But they're talking about, like, huge swaths of countries like france and entire major cities right like birmingham um that are no-go zones and that that the authorities have legitimately allowed these areas to be governed by sharia law and it's just horseshit and fox news of course picked up on it and ran with yeah they ran with it a bunch of other people started talking about it there was some clips on here on this particular story uh they've been taken down but you know, they're talking about how there's 700 no-go zones where the authorities 
uh, have allowed Sharia law to be imposed and it's going to be happening in the United States. And you're thinking that will never happen in the United States. Right. That's just not going to happen where you have a, a, a community of people, unless you're like fucking in the middle of fucking Appalachia or something, <laughs> right? Where nobody can get to you unless you're in fucking Airwolf or something. Like the only way to get to you Airwolf. is in like a helicopter from fucking the early Airwolf. 90s. <laughs> Dude, that was the Knight Rider of helicopters. <laughs> it totally was. That's it what wasn't. that was. Holy shit. How do you pull Airwolf out of here? <laughs> but that's the only way that you could get, like you, like you can only get there by either Airwolf or Trebuchet. Like those are the only two ways that you can actually get there. Like if it was, if it was connected at all to any type of major road, there's no way anybody would allow Sharia law to go unchecked and just say, oh, well, it, it, this, village elder is the person who arbitrates the laws that doesn't work that way it doesn't work in a country that has an established system of rules and laws. right that only would work in an area where they like saudi arabia right like where there are no laws like where there's no codified laws where the laws are just like sharia law it's the here's a book and here's some judges and the morality police just going to pick you up um you know civilized Fucking Western nations actually have a codified system of laws, and that's what they use. Um, they're saying in this um, that like WorldNet Daily talked about this, and an anti-Muslim a- activist, Pamela Geller, um, she talked about in, in WND WorldNet Daily. She said that um, it can be very frightening, the no-go zones, the Sharia zones, where firefighters and police cannot go. They are many times lured by particular criminal activity into these zones only to be ambushed. We see it in the UK, increasingly the imposition of Sharia law, and people think it can't happen here, but it is happening here. And it's like, this is like the most base and bland kind of fear-mongering that you can possibly come up with. It's like this idea that like, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Like, (laughs) all right, all right, yeah, the fucking scary Muslims are coming to get us all, we're all... We're all going to die of Sharia law. I'm fucking super fucking afraid of that. Of the things, you know, that happen in other countries, I think Sharia law is is horrible. I think it's a horrifying Oh, thing. absolutely. Where it's real? Yeah. yeah. I think it's horrifying. Right. But the idea that there's, that's somehow going to be a threat on our dem- democratic nations? No fucking way. Are you high? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like... The difference is, like you, we don't, you don't have to. If you want to criticize Sharia law, let's do that. It's a bad idea, right? Like basing your laws on uh, an old book with nothing important or interesting to say is a bad idea. Like I think we can, we can all, all listeners to this show can probably agree on that. Um, but this idea that like Sharia law is going to spread like some kind of you know, virus and infect our nation. And then, you know, we're all of a sudden going to, you know, oh, my God, Ohio has fell to the Muslims. You know, it's not that's just such bullshit. It's not going to happen. It's it's part of this um, fucking apocalyptic wet dream that these Christian fundamentalist nut jobs have and that they use to motivate people out of fear. Um, and it's based in nothing even remotely approaching reality. It's fucking time cube crazy. You know, there, there is nothing normal about being a sodomite. There is no life that will come out of a rectum. You cannot produce life. It's only death. Every time there's nothing in a rectum except waste, refuse and death. 
This story also comes from Right Wing Watch. Liberty Council. Christians who discriminate against gays are living out Martin Luther King's legacy. (laughs) What are you talking about? I thought it was Rosa Parks. Oh, my gosh. Let me let me just read a piece of this uh, fucking garbage. Um, this is a press release um, which was uh, sent out to celebrate, I guess, or desecrate more accurately um, Martin Luther King Day. It says, as we remember today the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we are inspired by his courage to combat injustice uh, that had that had become embedded in our culture and law. Hmm. Has become, I think. Anyway, writing from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama, Dr. King said, I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Marriage, and then that's the end of Dr. King, let's be super fucking abundantly yeah, right, clear, right. right? I don't want to. I don't want there to be even the remotest possibility that I'd be unclear here. Then the next paragraph begins the nuttery. Marriage, as the union of one man and one woman, was not created by government or religion. It is rooted in natural law, said Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Same-sex marriage is contrary to natural uh, to the natural created order of God Almighty. Thought it wasn't created by religion. Anyway, <laughs> laws. He just said that in the prior sentence. <laughs> laws deconstructing natural marriage and which compel people to affirm sinful sexual behavior or unions are unjust. Today, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King is being lived out by bakers, photographers, florists, candlestick makers, ministers, <laughs> court county clerks, and owners of wedding venues who have lost their businesses, been forced to pay exorbitant fines, been threatened with jail, and made to choose between the natural created order of marriage between one man and one woman and judges who side with same-sex couples. Because if there's anything we can take from Martin Luther King... It's the great legacy of discrimination against minorities. <laughs> it's, it's, it's passing on that discrimination to other generations. You're absolutely right. When you're reading this and you're reading through it, it's, it ends with the one paragraph ends with a quote from Dr. King. And then the, the, pre, the next paragraph starts with a quote. But then you have to read through and it says, oh, that was said by this other douchebag who's fucking the chairman of the Liberty Council or whatever. Right. The idea that you're uh, that you're going to disobey unjust laws. What's the unjust law? Where is the injustice? That's the thing that like, there's no one there that is saying the injustice is directed at me. Who's the person who's saying the injustice is directed at me that two guys get to get married? Who's the person on the yeah. outside of that marriage who is saying that there is an injustice to Well, me? where's the law? I don't even know which law. Like, is there a law that forces you to get a gay marriage? That would be an injustice. No one's no one's asking you to marry a dude. There is no law saying you have to do this thing. The only thing the law is saying you have to do is not or that you cannot do is discriminate. So so is that the law he's proposing that we break? I don't know. Discrimination? And then you're going to cite Martin Luther King Jr. to promote discrimination? It's it's co-opting underdogs 
so that you could sound like you're an underdog. But, I mean, it's like it's like citing Elvis to be like, I hate rock yeah. and roll. Said Elvis. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? What are you? It's like well, citing Hitler and being like, I love Jews. <laughs> I know it's so it's so antithetical <laughs> to their fucking message. It's like citing Stalin being like, I like feeding people. <laughs> <laughs> We believe we're moving into a supernatural season where, if needed, God will multiply food. I have seen God multiply food more than one time when I was cooking. I mean, when my kids were little, they were always bringing their friends into the house. And I remember, you know, spooning out spaghetti or whatever, just praying in the spirit over that. And God just made more and more and more. You know, I've seen oil multiply as I was praying for the sick. I've seen uh, bottles of oil just fill up about a cup at a time of oil. I was, I'm so proud of this story, Cecil. I found a sports. I literally laughed out loud when I read this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great, great story. This one comes from the Huffington Post. Seahawks' Russell Wilson suggests God made him throw four interceptions to set up a dramatic comeback. <laughs> God hates boring football games. I'll tell you what. I was watching this game, and it was a pretty boring game. The The Packers looked like they had sort of set this one up. It was 19-7. to It looked like there was very little chance that, that uh, the Packers were going to lose it. Uh, the Seahawks were fucking up like crazy. Russell Wilson, like they said, threw four interceptions. It, was a pre- it wasn't a fun game to watch. It was boring. Then... Out of nowhere, they just start coming back with all these different things that happen. But none of them really had to do, except for the very last play, had to do with Russell Wilson. I mean, Marshawn Lynch ran for a really long, a bunch of really long runs and then scored a touchdown. They 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 got an onside kick, which is something that's rare in football, and they wound up recovering their own onside kick. So, like, none of these things had anything to do with Russell Wilson. And then, you know, here's the thing. He says, that's God setting it up to make it so dramatic, so rewarding, so special. You don't need God's help to throw interceptions. Those are easy to throw. You can just <laughs> throw them. You don't even need God's help to make it exciting. Just start every game by throwing the first four balls away. And what happens if they lose the Super Bowl? Is he going to, I mean, is he, because clearly he blames the bad shit on God too. At least he's being somewhat logically consistent when he's saying that God made him throw the interceptions because if God made him win, God also was played up, played a hand in him throwing interceptions too, which is, you know, is the most consistent I've ever heard of any sports player ever saying, but what happens when, you know, if they lose the Super Bowl, which could happen, right? They could lose the Super Bowl to the Patriots. What happens then? Is he going to say, well, God just wants to make it more dramatic for when we come back next year? I No, I think the answer is God's a patriot. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, God loves America, America, man. You think do you think God is actually going to allow some fucking pinko commie city like Seattle? Yeah, I think you're right. To defeat the fucking Patriots? I think right. And I think the reason why is, you know, the score... Against the Packers was only like 28, 22. Fucking the Patriots detonated the Colts. It was like fucking 44, seven at the end of the game. So clearly God loves them way more. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised if God's intervening in football that just Texas doesn't always win. <laughs> like when the Cowboys just win everything <laughs> or the Texans. Well, I didn't even know there was a Texans. There's a t- <laughs> 
was actually very pleased with myself for remembering the Cowboys. Yeah. I actually almost said the Oilers, but then I remembered that they don't exist yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you need to go back in the Wayback Machine for the I Oilers. I watched a football game since I lived with my dad. Oh, so that's awesome. It's been a long time. <laughs> Uh, right Wing Watch is where this next story comes from. Todd Starnes says some awesome shit that you just have to hear to believe. <laughs> and I, I, I like that. I think that's exactly it. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna introduce the story, but just reading the title of it so ruins the delight. <laughs> the sheer. I know because you, you're just waiting for this tubby little jerk to say <laughs> some stupid shit. All right, here's Todd Todd Starnes and his Todd Starnes fucking minute of shame. By now, we all know that President Obama wants universal community college, free tuition for every person in America. How can you make that sound bad? All right. Like, ah, fucking the president wants people to be educated. (laughs) What are we in some kind of competitive global economy where education is key to our future success? Hmm. Oh, what kind of dream world do you live in, President oh, Obama? That's awesome. Well, looks like Obama wants everybody to be Mr. Thinky Pants. Oh, Obama doesn't want young people to be crippled by debt. Oh, look at us. Here we are, starting our lives not underneath the yoke of crushing depression. Oh, that's awesome. There's a, little, there's a lot more of this. But I'm having a hard time finding where the Constitution mandates that every American is entitled to an associate's degree. Wait, d- the Constitution doesn't mandate any, nearly anything that happens with the government. <laughs> yeah, we do lots of things to constitute. Like, the Constitution doesn't mandate that the government build expressways. <laughs> You know, but we fucking, the Constitution doesn't mandate that we send a man to the moon. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, we still just, like, we still do stuff. Yeah. Like, we're not, like, reading the Constitution, like, oh, should we feed the poor? I don't know if fucking says nothing about that in here, so fuck them. Yeah. (laughs) We are now six years into the Obama presidency, and they have a reputation for being less than truthful. Take, for example, this notion of free community college. It turns out that free education is going to cost American taxpayers $60 billion over the next decade. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I'm willing to pay that. $60 billion over the next decade? That's $6 billion a year. That's a really, really good deal. For for two year, for the start of an education, for half of a bachelor's degree? Do you don't know, like as a... So, so let me just think about this as a, as a parent of two children. So... If I were to send kids to my local university, like University of Illinois at at Urbana-Champaign, that's a pretty good university. It's downstate. The tuition for that in-state, room and board, each year, roughly $20,000 to $30,000. So if I sent my kids there for four years and I've got two kids, and let's call it twenty grand, i am spending eighty grand to educate each kid. I'm spending one hundred and sixty grand. I get to knock half of that off. I get right. to save personally, personally, Cecil, eighty thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. I'm super willing to save eighty thousand dollars. And you know what? Here's the thing: I don't have any children, and I'm still willing to pay that for other people because it's generally a good idea. Like, like isn't isn't that how you build a better society by building a more educated workforce? Like. If the if because don't we don't we think that by doing that that there's going to be kids who are saying man I can't afford college or parents who are saying man 
I can't afford a four-year university degree who can say, but now if you cut the goddamn price in half, right now I can. Because I can go two years to the to the junior college, two years to the university, walk out with my my degree, and now we have a more educated society. How's that a bad thing? Isn't that a society you'd rather live in? We spend I just did a quick little search here. We spend uh about ten million dollars an hour in taxpayer money for Afghanistan. Ten million dollars an hour. It get you you get sixty billion, which is gonna be ten years to put everybody to, through college. You get to that in two hundred and fifty days. Yeah. You, you know, I, I actually did a similar search just to take a look and see how much just the F thirty five cost. And costs for the F thirty five could reach as high as three hundred billion dollars. Right. So you could for an airplane, is, right? So that's fifty years, right, of kids going to school. Yeah, like which builds us a better world? You know, like which is the better world? Which one do you want to live in? The one where people are educated, or the one where we have a handful of really sweet airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of don't want to choose. <laughs> don't worry, Cecil. You won't have to. (laughs) And that doesn't even include all the free condoms and cell phones and medicinal marijuana bongs. (laughs) What? (laughs) And these kids with their rap music and their jello pudding pops. (laughs) And they're they're smoking all the reefers. (laughs) Kids these days hopped up on the goofballs. Like, what are you talking about? With your medical oh. marijuana bongs. Oh gosh, it's like 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 that line came right out of a, a, like a 1950s movie called Glue Sniffing Menace or something. You know, <laughs> give me a break. You know, back when I was growing up, college kids were expected to work their way through school. It was considered shameful to ask for a handout. But this is Obama's America, and the entitlement crowd thinks they're entitled to our money. I'm Todd Starnes. Wait, nobody's asking for a hand. That's the nobody's asking for anything. Nobody's clamoring and being like, "Please, please give me a handout." The government's just going to be like, "Hey, man, we got this." Yeah. Why is that? I, that's not a handout. Nobody's nobody's getting a handout because the taxpayers pay for it. And once these people become productive members of society after they graduate from college, they will continue to pay it. So it's not like anybody's getting a handout since we're all fucking shouldering the burden. And the other thing I want to talk about, too, is like, well, back in my day, we had to work through college. Well, let me tell you something. I put myself through college working through college. It was a less than ideal scenario. Like there were plenty. And I'm, I'm sure many other people did, too. But there were plenty of opportunities that I could not avail myself of because I had to work full time and go to school full time. And I'm not bitching about it, but I am saying that it's a less than ideal scenario. Don't we want to create more opportunity for young people? Isn't that isn't that isn't that what's going to build a better world for for me to live in as I age? Like even if I'm just looking at this from the most selfish possible perspective. When I'm 65, I want to look around and have an awesome world to live in. I don't want to look around and be like, man, fucking young people turned out stupid. 
we're sort of fucked now. You know, that's not a world I want to live in. I want to look around and be like, man, those educated youngsters fucking killed this. world we live in now is great. I'm selfish, so I enjoy that for the next 20, 25 years. He wants to keep creating this pushback, this pushback between the baby boomers and the rest of everybody, because the baby boomers want to seem like they were the they're the ones running the show and they had it so hard and they had to walk fucking uphill two goddamn ways to school. And it snowed every day in the middle of fucking July and it sucked and the world was covered with cinders <laughs> and fucking they were all chimney sweeps and they asked for some more and they couldn't get some more. It's like, fuck off. You know, everybody had it fucking tough growing up. Go fucking suck a dick, Todd Starnes. Well, it's like it's also part of that like that myth where, um, and I don't know if this is human nature, Cecil, or what, but there's like this this prevailing idea that like, well, I mean, I had to do it and it was horrible, so you yeah. should have to do it too. It's like, you know, I actually don't want people to like. I want to look at the parts of my life that sucked and be like, geez, I would like to not have people go through that. Yeah, and I'd like to look at the parts of my life that were filled with opportunity and awesomeness and be like. Let's have more of that in the world rather than less. But there's this this thing where people are like, yeah, well, when I was, you know, in my residency, I had to work 100 consecutive hours, you know, up to my fucking elbows and fucking human organ transplants. And that's how we should train all doctors. And it's like, really? Because that the ideal way. Like all all these professions seem to have their own their own version of the same thing, you know, like, well, I'd uh you got to put in your time. You got to you got to suffer. You got to, you know, crawl through the shit before you get to the Shinola or you know whatever it fucking is. I don't know what those fucking folksy bullshit sayings, but you know what I mean? They all have yeah. the same kind yeah. of nonsense. And I and you got to look at it and be like, "But it sucks. Where's the value in things just sucking?" I don't see it. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So this story comes from Right Wing Watch. Sandy Rios. Obama used Islamic subliminal messages in the State of the Union. Pretty compelling argument, Cecil. I think we should let the uh, listeners decide for themselves. Sure. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, is it is that really what she's saying here? Because it doesn't feel... Maybe it is. Let's listen to it. You mentioned Annapolis, you know, for the different academies. Oh, okay, okay. And then when he mentioned uh, the... Uh, Colorado Springs, Fort Collins is Air Force Academy, not Colorado Springs. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, somebody will pick that up today. Uh, maybe you're the first one, Kevin. You know, the other thing he said that I caught, um, he has done this before. You know, there are five pillars of Islam, and he used the term pillars again in his speech last night. I'd forgotten about it, and I don't even know where it is. I've got so many pages in my hand here. But it's just really interesting. Language can actually give us some insight, choices of words. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for that catch. Yeah, I think that is what she's saying. I think she's saying like that he's using the word pillars to try to insert some kind of, you know, or that he's you know subconsciously using the word pillars um, and tipping his hand, you know, that he's really a secret Muslim or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to get on her crazy train. Secret Muslim, yeah. I uh, well, and okay. So he mentioned pillars. Like, what is that? Are we all the Manchurian candidate? Are we all just going to immediately, when he says pillars, be like, "Oh, I must worship Islam." Which way is Mecca? <laughs> 
I, I I like the idea that like we don't even have to we don't even have to fully elucidate what we're what we're actually trying to get across if we just use the wrong noun occasionally yeah. like pillar oh my god what what I mean are you kidding me like you're in Washington D.C. there's fucking pillars literally everywhere like every building. <laughs> I, or maybe maybe if you're a Republican, they're columns. I don't know, but I mean, yeah. still, <laughs> are you are you fucking kidding me? There's fucking pillars. You're surrounded at all times by pillars. Like Islam does not have a uh, a, a, a a fucking toehold on pillars. Like every oh, if you say, if you use pillars, you're Islam. Fuck, we were gonna build this thing. What were you gonna hold it up with? Well, we were gonna use pillars. <laughs> but, <laughs> But they're out of the fucking question. Or it's like some engineer somewhere is sitting around like blueprints like, well, how many uh, how many pillars do we need to hold this building up? Oh, uh, it looks like the load will hold with five. Better add a six so we don't become Islamic. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, going to the going to the get your change and it comes back at six sixty six. You're like, no, I'll just you just keep the change. Right, you just drop it out of your fucking <laughs> It's the same thing. If anything comes up five pillars, you just got to fucking run screaming like your goddamn hair is on fire. Yeah, it's like, how much does it cost? Uh, 387 Fuck, I only have four. I'll get 13 cents. That's unlucky. You know what? I'll, <laughs> I I don't want it anymore. I got to go. And you just like run out the door. I mean, how crazy are we at this point? You just got to build a building with five pillars, and it's got its address is 666 and it's 13th floor. Uh, it'd be the I most luckiest, <laughs> Islamiciest <laughs> building the best ever. building ever. So we want to thank our patrons, our, most, our, our newest patrons, of course. We want to thank Sean, Liam, Atul, Mario, Paul, Zaid, Jerry, Tim, Frazier, and Robert. Thank you all so very much for your generous donations. Uh, your generous don- your donations go a long way into making sure the show happens. So we, we thank you all so much for, for uh, giving us your hard-earned dollars. So we got a lot of great comments about the, uh, the episode we did on uh, the Charlie Abdo cartoons and sort of what happened over there. We got a lot of great commentary. A lot of people said that we d- they, they really enjoyed the show. Uh, there was a couple of pieces of contention, though, that we wanted to talk about. Um, one is the first one here is from David, and David talks a little bit about sort of uh, giving us the perspective uh, that we were sort of searching for when we were talking at the end of the program, when we weren't sure sort of if um, Muslims over there were sort of systematically disenfranchised. Yeah, and uh, David David says that. Um, it sounds like you uh, might be open to someone who grew up in France giving a bit of perspective, and, and we appreciate this. Um, he says, so to keep things in, in order, um, let's talk about the Burqa ban first. The ban was introduced as a right-wing political trick to galvanize the French political masses. The last French president, Nicolas Sarkozy, was sort of the George Bush of French politics and figured out that the best way to get keep getting elected wasn't to pitch to his own audience, but to stir up a storm. There's a huge problem with ghettoization of North Africans, Algerians and Moroccans primarily, in big French cities. Uh, they're discriminated against when they apply for jobs, university programs, and the French government responds by saying that it is blind to race and ethnicity, so it's not racist. So we say we're not racist, so of course we're not racist, right? Result is huge numbers of Arabic-speaking French people living in shithole ghettos outside of Paris, Marseille, 
uh, Grenoble and other cities. I'm sorry I mispronounced all of those. And are very pissed off about never really being considered French. Um, rather than do the hard work to integrate these people, Sarkozy introduced the Burqa ban to throw fuel on the fire and get his electorate, largely the Jewish and Catholic right wing, out to vote him back in. Um, and second piece of background needed, France is one of the few countries which has actually criminalized anti-Semitic speech and writing. It's against the law to write or say, for instance, the Holocaust didn't happen. So instead of ridiculing and proving wrong the idiots who've said and written these things, French authorities have jailed them. This has caused the same French Muslims of North African descent, whose grandparents' villages in Algeria were colonized by French armies, to say that there's a double standard. Charlie Hebdo can lampoon Islam, but a comedian called Diodon, I'm sorry, uh, who satirized the Jewish faith, uh, was served court orders and barely bailed out of a long jail sentence. Um, so really, David, I just want to say thank you, because this is information. We're not French. Um, this is very specific uh, information on the political and cultural life of uh, the French people and kind of what's going on with regard to the uh, uh, the the plight, I guess I should say, of North African uh, Muslims. And this is information I certainly was not privy to. So while it in no way uh, abdicates responsibility or mitigates the damage or changes our, our, our thoughts or feelings about the Ebdo attacks, um, the, it, it is nice to have a little bit of context to the situation to better understand it. And also, Cecil, I think, to better understand another listener's email that we got a lot of feedback on with regard to the Black Panthers and the jihadists. Yeah, they, they, there was we, we read an email last time where somebody had said that um, that the jihadists are like today's Black Panthers, and then they were talking about Martin Luther King, and we got, well, we're going to read a, a, an email here uh, specifically about that. This is This is from Erica. Erica says, uh, one thing I enjoy about your show is that you, you seem to understand your privilege and to the best of your ability, you, under, you understand and explain the points of view of those who are marginalized in, in this society. Therefore, I was tr- truly confused and disheartened that you did not reject the ridiculous premise of the email that the listeners sent comparing religious atrocities to the fight of civil rights and the way it manifests in the United States several decades ago. Although you did come down, you, you didn't come down on his side. You hemmed and hawed to the tune of it's not exactly like that argument he presented. And the argument he presented was inaccurate and racist to its very core. Since I tend to go off on tangents, I want to avoid it here. I will condense my issues into three main points. It is the very height of white majority privilege to dictate uh, to a marginalized group how they should protest their perceived oppression. We see Malcolm X show us your Martin Luther King. What the fuck is that bullshit? Uh, Both of these leaders fought for civil rights for people who were literally being uh, oppressed via death and incarceration, manufactured poverty and police violence by a government and fellow citizens alike. Uh, and, And this asshole didn't didn't like Marshall Malcolm X's harsh words and, and he was doing it wrong. Please show me an instance where Malcolm X was directly or indirectly responsible for the loss of life uh, in his fight for freedom for himself and others. Uh, and then she says, killing people over cartoons is not the same as taking up arms in response to repeated and relentless episodes of beating, maiming and killing by the police uh, forces sworn to protect and serve everyone except those dark people over there. And then she finally says, Malcolm X was not a Black Panther. I know we all look alike and our history in America isn't all that important or relative to the majority. But fucking A, at least get your facts straight before you sit down and write this bullshit, fellow listener. 
Okay, so uh, she was upset by that, and we actually got tweeted at, and a couple people said that you know we totally fucked that up. I I think people were mad that we didn't say that we disagreed with it fast enough, but I re-listened to that segment, and I think people are hearing what they want to hear rather than what that was actually said. Uh, we disagreed with what the person said, so that's let's just lay that out there. We didn't uh, we didn't hem and haw about that particular thing. Neither Tom nor I think that it is in any way comparable that the Black Panthers are the same thing as jihadist shooting cartoonists. Tom and I actually weren't thinking that that email was really about cartoonists at all. In fact, what we were thinking that that the email was about systematic disenfranchisement of the Muslim people in other countries. That's how we were approaching it. We were not approaching it. And it, and that might have been a fault of ours in our own interpretation of that email. But I know Tom and I, when we talked about it beforehand, we're, we we didn't even I it never even entered my mind to think about the cartoons. So that's the first thing. I did not think that the cartoons was what that person was really getting at. What I thought that person was getting at was, is there anything comparable between the civil rights movement here and some sort of systematic disenfranchisement that is happening inside of Paris or inside of France or inside of European countries to the Muslim people. And that's where Tom and I started talking about how we didn't know that. So if, if that didn't come across, that's our failing that we didn't, we didn't explain that correctly, but I don't think Tom or I can would ever consider the black Panthers on the same level as the jihadists that are shooting cartoonists in the face. No. And and I, and if we didn't, if we didn't make that abundantly clear, um, if we, I, you know, one thing that that bothers me though is this idea that we didn't, that we considered the idea as, and and that that's somehow a failing um, of ours. I think that you know we should entertain ideas. That's that's a thing that we have this show to do. Um, now it's true that Cecil and I a lot of times will. Um, you know, kind of vet things ahead of time and get on the same page and kind of plan things out and then do the story. But, you know, every now and again, we'll just talk it out together. Um, and that gets recorded and that gets put on the show. And and I, I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, I think if somebody raises a comparison and it's one that bears uh, a, a few moments of thought, even if it's, if it's ultimately rejected or not rejected, um, I'm not going to apologize for for entertaining an idea or for not having enough information to robustly reject or robustly um, embrace an idea. If, if I don't have the information, I'm, I'm comfortable with saying, you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about that. Um, it's an interesting, I, 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 we still thought it was an interesting enough email. Um, it's not an email we agreed with, but we thought it was interesting. And that's why it made its way into the show, because it was interesting. And evidently, you guys thought it was interesting, too, because it, it riled people. It got people, um, you know, got your blood up. And so that's why it made it to the program. When you say in your email here, Erica, you say, uh, you know, that we don't know enough about black history. I, I agree. I think totally. you're right. I don't think I know enough about black history. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a failing of our country and our educational system that I don't know enough about black history because I really don't. Um, and uh, and I apologize for not. And, and that is something I'm sorry I don't know enough about, but I don't know enough about it. So we got an email from Pricey. Hello, godless hellbound heathens. I only recently discovered your show and I'm making my way through your back episodes. I just want to say I love it. 
I was brought up while living with my grandparents and father, Catholic, and all seemed to be going well, and this is why I wanted to read this one, until I set a girl on fire at my Holy Communion. (laughs) I took this as a sign that there isn't a God. I will point out that she was unhurt. Keep up the good work. Um, Wow. I'm trying to think of how you set someone on fire at communion. Aren't you just getting a cracker? (laughs) Your only responsibility at communion is to eat a cracker. How did fire even enter into this equation as the person getting the communion? I, I'm trying to imagine this chain of events. I'm also trying to imagine a chain of events where someone's on fire and yet remains unhurt. Perhaps that truly was a miracle. <laughs> the reason to believe. We got a message. Uh, this is from Duff. And Duff says, of course he finds snowmen create erotic and lustful thoughts. They look like women in burkas. If the burka were white, of course, which I've never seen. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea that. That snowmen are just women in burkas. I think that's great. From now on, every time I see a snowman, I'm just going to be like, maybe it's a burka. It's <laughs> awesome. We got a we got a message from uh, from Big Chesticles, and Big Chesticles sent us uh, just a picture uh, of the gay agenda. So I'm going to put uh, an image for this on this episode. This is episode 203. I'm going to put the image that 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 Big Chesticles sent in. Thank you very much for sending. I think it's very funny. It's awesome. So I totally fucking ruined my nerd cred, Tom, last episode. Yeah. When I was talking about fucking Baphomet and I confused it with Bahamut. I can't believe I did that. What kind of fucking fucking mistake is that, rookie? Oh, Lord, man. Take away my fucking Star Trek phaser. Jesus. Fuck. You're going to have to move out of your mom's basement and like smell a girl. You know what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to give up my my Cyclops sunglasses that I wear everywhere. Uh, I got a message from uh, this is from Nicole. And Nicole's curious if uh, actually it's a question for our wives and I'm going to answer for my wife. But uh, um, uh, she says, I would be incredibly uneasy if my husband was saying the shit you guys did over the Internet. And uh, even more worried about him uh, attending atheist events like you guys do. Uh, do you, are like, are your wives worried about your well-being? And, uh, one, I kind of use an alias, although it's not really an alias, but it kind of is. So I kind of use an alias and we try to avoid saying Tom's last name, but we don't, we sometimes forget. (laughs) But, uh, for the most part, we try to like not worry about stuff like that. Cause I, you know, I guess the feeling is, is that, uh, you know, if I lived in fucking Saudi Arabia, I wouldn't do the show. Uh, but I live in the United States and I feel like I'm pretty safe, relatively safe. I feel like there's much more. There's people out there, policymakers out there who make it a lot fucking harder on the Islamic world than I do. <laughs> so I think they're a better target. Uh, yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll speak to that. I think um, my wife has occasionally expressed some very mild concern like, you know, you can maybe a little discomfort that that occasionally we'll say things on the show that might that might get us into some trouble down the road but um i, I think it's such a, a it would be such a weird freak occurrence for a show like this to make the attention of somebody who's radicalized and then they'd have to go through the work of and i think you could do it pretty quickly but has to go through the work of finding us and hunting us down and then yeah it's just of all the targets like wouldn't you go after 
wouldn't you go after like Sam Harris or something? Like, wouldn't you go yeah. after somebody that's really going to splash the news, not just a couple of like dudes, you know, with a show? Yeah. I just right. It just doesn't strike me as terribly likely. So yeah, I, I don't. I and I also just don't want to live my life like that. You know, I just I I we have honest conversations on this show, uh, you know, that are sort of sprinkled with humor, and I think that. I, w- I want to have those honest conversations. I don't want to pretend like I'm somebody else. Yeah, I wouldn't do the show. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just wouldn't be interested in doing the show if I had to watch my every word. Tom, we got an interesting email uh, from B-Man, and he's talking about being an atheist apologist. Uh, yeah, so B-Man says, hey, Tom and Cecil, someone who would consider himself as an apologist atheist, I initially disliked the way you talked about some of the controversial issues, but that was in the past, and now I'm an ardent fan of your hysterical way of dissing on some of the things that are terribly wrong with this world. Regardless, I still consider myself an apologist, and I'd like to point out why. As an apologist, I'm looking at a solution for a given problem. When I'm apologizing for something like the massacre at Charlie Hebdo, I am not doing it because I condone the actions of these terrorists. On the contrary, I believe that them and their religion and most other religions are insane. However, I do not believe that we can put some sense into these people by caustically criticizing them, at least on a global level. There are currently about 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, and that number is likely to increase faster than any other religion and faster than atheists. On one of your recent episodes, you pointed out that treating these people as nine-year-olds is insulting, but that is essentially the case when it comes to their blind adherence to their religion. A lot of these people grew up in families or societies that do not allow for a similar level, similar level of intellectual development as the rest of us, and I'm not talking about just Muslims. <clears throat> So I think the best way to get our point across is to cajole, is to cajole them like you would a nine-year-old and try to make them think without rousing their instinct to lash out. Am I being dishonest when I do this? Yes, but I think it's the best way to address the issue without being a target to a crazy person with a bomb strapped to his chest. Maybe I'm completely missing a point here, and if so, I'd like to hear your opinions. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think I kind of agree with you. I mean, I don't... I uh I don't think when you say here you say I don't believe we can put some sense into these people by caustically criticizing them. I don't think so either. But that's not uh, I mean I'm sure you know this but that's not what this show is about. This show is not about conversion. This show is not about converting people. We created a show that was going to be a preaching to the choir show uh when we thought that there really wasn't a lot of preaching to the choir shows out there. We thought that there was a lot of the the, the market was saturated in tons of people who were not preaching to the choir who were looking to convert other human beings to their way of thinking. Tom and I don't uh, didn't think that that was a worthwhile endeavor because we're not smart enough to convert people. So we didn't think that that was useful. We just thought we could be, you know, we could have a fun conversation. Tom and I are on the same sort of uh, level when we think about our own belief structure. And we thought it would be great to, to, to make jokes and kid around and, and have a fun conversation. We never thought that we would be, that any of this would be used to convert people. So I agree with you that caustically criticizing people is not going to get them to convert. I think you need a, a gentle hand, especially early on with people. And, uh, and you need to convince them, uh, in very simple, uh, simple ways, like like we talk about all the time with the Bogosian book. You know, there's great ways in that book to convert people in ways that are not uh, caustic, in ways that are useful, and in ways that that help the person feel like they 
like their mind has merit and their thoughts have merit and uh, and that their ideas are worth something. And I think that there's lots of great ways to convert people. I don't think that this show is one of them. And I think when we're talking about being uh, caustic, um, I think there's a difference between how we treat ideas and how we treat people. Um, and I think that this is a really, really important distinction. So um, I think it's totally fun and fair to be absolutely caustic and aggressive um, with ideas. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll do that probably until my dying day. Uh, I certainly would not treat people the same way. So when, when we're having a conversation, when Cecil and I are having a conversation about other people, um, other people's actions or ideas, I think it's totally reasonable to be caustic. Um, however, if I'm having a conversation with a believer, I'm going to behave in a very different way because I want to behave in a way that's respectful. Um, that doesn't mean that I won't be honest with that person. I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, but um, I would not be caustic or aggressive because I don't see the merit in being caustic and aggressive. Um, so the way we treat people and the way we treat ideas, there, there needs to we need to differentiate those, and we need to be we need to understand that those things are going to have different boundaries in the way that we uh, go about addressing them. So uh, we got a message. This is from Bob, and this is the this message says uh, that. There was 800,000 people who marched in Chechnya against the Charlie Hebdo publication in support of the actions of the murderers. Now, I read the link you sent, Bob, and I don't think it says it supports the actions of the murderers so much as it condemns the cartoons. And I think that there's a very important distinction there. Yeah, I, I you know, we talked about this uh, before the show, and I think it's totally reasonable for people to take to the streets and condemn an idea they don't agree with, right? Condemn the you can you can protest ideas. We can protest um, artistic expression we don't we don't like. We can take to the streets and say, you know, we want to be treated that we we can do these things because that's a peaceful protest. Um, and even though I don't agree with it, you know, I don't know anything about Charlie Hebdo. I don't know if I would like it if I read it or not like it. We talked about it sort of more in the abstract in terms of its uh, free speech implications on our show, but. Um, I think it's reasonable and, and fair and, and honest and just and, and socially uh, desirable for people to take to the streets and protest the things that they don't like. And, you know, that's good. That's a good thing. We should encourage that. Um, we sh I would I would would I like it better if they were protesting something else? Yeah, maybe. But um, great. Get together. Protest. It's not the same thing as shooting people. And it's not the same right. thing as supporting the shooters. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I mean, at least from the article that you sent, I don't see that the support for the shooters is there. They say, you know, like we love Mohammed, we don't love Charlie. That doesn't necessarily mean that that they they support the shooters. It just means that they didn't agree with the cartoons and they love Mohammed. I mean, I don't I don't want to read too much into it, but I and I'm with you, Tom. I think you know that people should be able to protest, especially protest things that offend you. Right? That's what that's what that avenue is there for. Right. I mean, what else? <clears throat> what better way to express your, uh, your your thoughts and feelings in a democratically viable way than to gather? I mean, th that's that's why it's enshrined in our own uh, Bill of Rights is the the right to to assemble. Um, I I'm fine with people assembling and saying like that idea sucks. We like different ideas, and that's really what's happening here. And it, but if they were all holding up signs that said. 
I think it's awesome they shot that dude. That would be a totally different story. I would not be behind that. Like, I, you cannot condone and support violence because that's not supporting an idea or protesting another idea. That's that's supporting, you know, the elimination of human beings for no reason. So uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, we will be back with a midweek episode this week. But we are going to leave you, as we always do, with the Skeptic's Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death in towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques, and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and views expressed in this show are that of the hosts only. Our poorly formed and expressed notions do not represent those of our wives, employers, friends, families, or of the local dairy council.